Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Awesome. Hey, you may be seated. And again, happy Resurrection Sunday. Jesus was crucified, died, was buried. He arose, he ascended into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, Jesus did not sit down because he was tired. He sat down because he was finished. Everything that needed to be done for our redemption was paid for. That's why he sat down. Now, Christianity has its foundation in two supernatural events. The first being the incarnation, Jesus being born in Bethlehem. The second is the resurrection of Jesus. It is either the single greatest fact in history or it is the greatest deception in history. And I believe and I know you believe that he arose and it is the single greatest fact in human history. It is the foundation of every other Christian belief. In fact, Paul said, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is in vain. If Christ is not risen. The early church, I mean, every time they preached, they preached the resurrection. I just wrote down a few of the, the, the spots. For example, Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 7, Acts 10, Acts 17. When they opened their mouth, the thing that they talked about was the resurrection of Jesus. And all other claims of Jesus in the gospel are based on the validity of his resurrection. The resurrection is unique. There's no parallel. The resurrection of Jesus stands alone in human history. Now, the reason for the resurrection, the reason for the cross, I mean, why did God do all of this anyway? And literally, you have to go back to the beginning. You know, God created the heavens, the earth. He created a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, put them on earth in a beautiful garden and said, eat of any tree you want, but there's one tree you shall not eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, blessing and calamity. The day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And they ate of the tree and they lived for 900 years. But they didn't not die. They died the day they ate of the tree, but not physically. They died spiritually. Their relationship with God was torn. They became different on the inside. Beforehand, God came and walked with them every day. They had fellowship together. But once they had eaten of the tree, they went and they hid themselves and they were afraid of God. In fact, there's a lot of people that are like that today, don't want to have anything to do with God. You know, if somebody had to drag you to church today, uh, there's a good chance that you're in the same condition that Adam and Eve were in. You're afraid of God because you're not in relationship with God. So they, they died, but they died on the inside. There was this spiritual part of them that was separated from God. So God immediately said, I'm going to remedy this situation. And he said, I'm going to put enmity, he said to Satan, between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed, 
and he will crush or bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. You see, the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. It's not just that you're going to die physically, but there's this spiritual death, a separation from God. And, it, and it's not just a temporary thing, it's an eternal thing. But God so loved the world that he wasn't going to leave the world in that condition, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God said, I'm going to remedy this. I'm going to send my son, Jesus. And it says in Romans 1, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, through the resurrection of the dead. Now, I want to talk to you about what the resurrection really means to you and to me. First of all, in Romans, the fourth chapter, it says, who was delivered up because of our offenses. Now, I've heard people say that it's Pilate's fault that Jesus went to the cross. Blame the Romans. I've heard people say it's the Jewish people's fault. Blame the Jews. But the truth is, it's your fault. He was delivered up because of our offenses, yours and mine. And here's, here's a fact. If you had been the only person on planet earth, Jesus would have went to the cross for you. He loved you that much. It was your sin, your offenses that put Jesus on the cross. But then it goes on and it says he was raised because of or when we were justified. To be justified means to be made just as if I'd never done it. How many of you have something in your life you wish you could just make disappear? Something you did someplace, something you said. How many? <laughs> well, literally, that is what Jesus did. He justified you. In God's eyes, he made you just as if you had never done it. Now, the Apostle Paul explains it like this in Romans chapter 1. He's speaking of the gospel. Now, by the way, the gospel is the good news about what Jesus did for you. He said, the gospel, it's the power which emanates from God. It saves all men who believe in it. It reveals God's way of making men as righteous as himself. It is a process which from beginning to end is entirely by faith. You know, most people want to get right with God and, and they, they, they want to do things. They want to do something. But that's why the Bible says that no one has ever been made right with God by being a good person. Nobody. Never have been. You won't be the first. I won't be the first. But this is that God has a way of making men as righteous as himself. Think about that. As righteous as God. And how did he do it? Well, it's explained in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, for God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sin. And then in exchange, he poured God's goodness or God's righteousness into us. Now, that was a bad deal for God. He took your sin and put that into Jesus and said, Jesus, die on the cross and pay for that sin. But he took his righteousness and poured that into you. Now, when you, if, you, if you ever understand this, 
it will absolutely change your life. The, 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 the days, the low days and the high days, the days, of, oh, God loves me. The days where God's mad at me. God loves me. God's got his wife out. He's about to hit me. God's not going to answer my prayers. God's, God's going to answer my prayers. The days of, of this up and down Christian life are over when you understand that God took all of your sin and poured it into Jesus and took all of his righteousness and poured it into you. I want you to think about this. As a Christian, God has made you righteous. Now, I know some Christians don't want to say that, but the Bible says that. And how many of you know if the Bible says that, that's what you're supposed to say? He made you righteous. So righteous that if you were to die right now, you would only have to spend 10,000 years burning and pay for your sin. That's not right, is it? To be absent from the body is to be? So with the righteousness you have right now, you could live in God's presence forever and ever. You're not going to die and go and burn for a while and suffer and pay for some sin that you committed because Jesus sat down. And he sat down because it was finished. Everything was paid for. Everything was paid for. He didn't miss anything. The Bible tells us in James chapter 5 that the earnest heartfelt continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. You know, when you understand you're right with God, your faith literally just explodes when you understand that. You see, what the devil does is he tries to come and condemn you. He tells you God's mad at you. God's upset at you. God's not going to bless you. God's not going to use you. God's not going to answer your prayers because you did this, because you did that. But when you understand that God took all of your sin and put it into Jesus and took all of his goodness and righteousness and put it into you, it absolutely changes who you are. Second thing about Jesus' death. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, death no longer has permanent dominion. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, For I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. Least you sorrow is others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many believe that? Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or who have died in Jesus. It's saying that Jesus' resurrection is proof of much, much more. That there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. In fact, in Matthew 27, it says that when Jesus arose from the dead, that many of the saints who had been buried around Jerusalem came out of their graves and were seen walking in the streets in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to imagine you go to the mall and your Uncle Harry, who died 20 years ago, walks up and says, hi. That's what happened. That's what happened. And the reason it happened is God wanted us to understand that what happened to Jesus was not just a one-time event. One thing, one person, one time. He wanted us to understand that he conquered death. And everything he did, he didn't do it for himself. He did it for you and me. He did it as our representative, right? He wants us to understand death is not the end. In fact, I want you to to grab this. Death is not the end for any of us. 
All right. Now, first of all, the Bible says that God is a spirit. God's a spirit. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter one that angels are spirits. It says he makes his angels spirits. And it says about you in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, may the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus. You're a trichotomy. You are three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Right? Now, your, I'm going to say it like this. Your body is not the real you. If we cut your arm off, how many of you know you're not any less you? Your mind is not the real you. You were just as much you before you learned calculus as afterwards. New knowledge doesn't change who you are. The real you is a spirit, just like God's a spirit. Now, you're not God. You never will be. Don't even get that. Don't even go there, okay? But you're the same type of a being. God's a spirit. Angels are spirits. And by the way, do angels retire when they're 350,000 years old? No. You say, why? Because angels never die. And as a person, your physical body will die someday. But the real you that lives on the inside will never die. After the stars fall from the sky like ripe autumn leaves, you will live on someplace forever. Now, I remember as a Christian, just when I first got saved, I had an idea for God. Anybody here ever want to help God out? I had an idea. And I thought, God, you are so lucky to have me. I've got an idea for you. All right? And understand this, that God's never had an idea. You understand that? Because he's all-knowing, so he can't ever, ever have an idea. But I thought I could help him with an idea. And I said, God, this is what you need to do. Kill the devil. Kill him. And then invite all the demons to the funeral. Kill them too. Right? And we can just take care of everything right there. All right? Here's the problem. You can't kill the devil. You say, why? Because he's a spirit. He's a spirit. He's going to live someplace forever. In fact, that's why the Bible says in Revelation 20 in verse 10 that he's thrown into the lake of fire where he's tormented day and night forever and ever. Why? Because he's a spirit. And you are a spirit. And that is why, listen, Jesus said, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul? You see, because he's saying you're more valuable. This world as we know it, it's going to pass away. It's going to be gone. But you are going to live on forever and ever and ever. And God values you. He loves you. And, and I'm going to just say this. There's nothing that you could ever do that would make God love you less. And nothing you can ever do that will make him love you more. Because he is love. He is love. He valued you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And what Jesus did in his death, burial, resurrection and ascension, he defeated sin, death, and the devil. He changed the eternal destiny of men and women. In Hebrews chapter 6, where it talks about the fundamental doctrines of Christianity, it talks about the resurrection of the dead. And by the way, it's the just and the unjust and eternal judgment. We're all going to live someplace forever. The only question is what your address is going to be. There's just, and by the way, this isn't like taking a vacation. There's only two, two options. 
Right? You can't choose between Florida, Jamaica, and Cancun. No, it's just heaven, hell. The only two options. Now again, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish. That's talking about that separation from God, but have everlasting life. Now, when we read that as Christians, almost all of us think the same thing. Everlasting life, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to live forever. And that is true, but that's not what this verse is saying. That's the wrong verse to use for that. All right. In fact, the word there, everlasting, in English is two words, but it's only one word in Greek, and it's the word Z-O-E. Zoe, Zoe. A lot of people are naming their little girls Zoe. How many of you know a Zoe? Somebody that a Zoe, yeah. Very, very common. It's a Greek word, all right? And here is translated everlasting life, but that's not a good translation. In fact, you're not a Greek scholar. So if you went to, let's just say, South America, and you went and lived with an indigenous people group and learned their language, and you decide, I'm going to get them an alphabet, I'm going to translate the Bible into this new language so these people can have their own Bible, which, you know, is what Wycliffe Bible translators do. One of the tools that they give you is a translator's New Testament. And this is the note that you find where the Bible says everlasting life. It says, in the New Testament, eternal life, everlasting life, is the kind of life which is given to all true believers in Christ. The word eternal draws attention to the quality of the life and not the duration in a temporal sense. Now look at me, this is what this says. It says when it says eternal life, it's not talking about how long the life lasts, it's talking about where it comes from. It's talking about its quality. It comes from the eternal one. It comes from God and it's the God kind of life. Right? Now when do you receive it? The moment you receive Jesus. It's talking about the quality of the life and not the duration in a temporal sense. This eternal life can be experienced by believers even while subject to temporal conditions of earthly life. How, are you, how many of you are going through some temporal conditions? Some stuff. It says even when you're going through stuff, it says you can have this eternal life, this zoe working down on the inside of you. It says translators should be careful to avoid expressions which mean no more than a timeless continuation of life after death. E.W. Vine in his expository dictionary of New Testament words says it's used in the New Testament as life as a principle. Life in the absolute sense. Life as God has life. That's what, God, that's what you receive when you receive Jesus. And literally... It makes you a different person on the inside. That's why I want to talk about the last thing that the resurrection means to you and me. It means that you lose your past. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now this is one of my life verses. Uh, a number of years ago, I preached on this passage for nine weeks, well three months, so it had been 12 weeks in a row. And a lady in the congregation came up to me and she said, if you say one more time, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, I will scream. 
And I thought, well, maybe she's starting to get it. Starting to get it. But here it goes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, new creature. One translation says a new species of being that never existed before. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. If anyone is in Christ, you receive Jesus. You're in union with him. His death was for you. His resurrection was for you. His ascension was for you. The Bible says you're seated together with him in heavenly places. If anyone is in union with Christ, you believe what he did was for you. And by doing that, literally his death becomes your death, your payment for sin. Then you're a new creation. Now, I was brought up in church, but I hated church. I literally, I mean, I hated church. I, I hated the pastor. I hated all the sermons. I hated all the people that went there. <laughs> right? I didn't like it when they read the Bible. I didn't like it when they sang songs. You know, we would come home from church on Sunday night. And, and it just shows that, that how old I am. But in, in the living room, you, you never went in the living room. Right? That was just for company. Right? And Sundays. All right? After church, dad would go in there. And we had this great big television. But it was, it was a record player. Some of you don't even know what that is. And an AM FM radio. I remember those. You are old people. Old people. You remember that. Right. This is way before cell phones. This is before bag phones. Right. And my dad would go in there on Sunday night, put that on WFUR and turn that up. Woo! Loud. He was in World War II. He couldn't hear very well. Right. And I remember going in the bedroom. I'd lay on my bed, take my pillow, put it over my ears and go, I hate that song. Ah, I hate that song. Ah, I hate that song. Right. Now, now, I'm 20 years old. I've been in church all my life. I don't like it. Right. And, and, and I received the Lord. Now, nobody told me to change. Right. But all of a sudden, all the stuff I didn't want to do, I wanted to do. And the stuff that I used to want to do, I didn't want to do. All of a sudden, I didn't want to go to the bar. I didn't want to smoke. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to pray. I wanted to hang out with Christians. You say, what happened? I became a new person on the inside. Nobody makes you change. You want to change. And, and I remember, I'm, I'm going through this in my mind. Now, the guy says, you know, you can be saved. And I go, yeah, I want to be saved. I, I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved. But when I get saved, I'll never have fun again in my whole life. <laughs> Anybody thought that? That's what I thought. I thought, I'm never going to have fun again in my whole life. I'm not going to do anything I want to do again in my whole life. And here's the crazy thing. I, I got saved and I found out I never had fun before. <laughs> and all that stuff I thought I wasn't going to want to do, I wanted to do. And all the stuff that I wanted to do before that I shouldn't be doing, I didn't want to do anymore. Now, it, literally, when, when you get saved, your want tour gets fixed. Your want tour gets fixed. Why? Because suddenly you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he conquered sin, death, and the devil. He arose he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. 
And he's seated because he's done. He did everything necessary to put you and I back in right relationship with God. He died, the Bible says, for the ungodly. He was born in an obscure village, child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was around 30 years old. At about 33, public opinion turned against him. He never wrote a book. He never held a public office. He never went to college, never went to a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place that he was born. He did none of the things that we usually associate with greatness. He had no credentials besides himself. And he was only 33 when he was betrayed with a kiss. His friends ran away. One friend denied him three times. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mock trial and was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, the executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property that he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed tomb through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone. Today, Jesus is the central figure in the human race, the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings who ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Because he didn't just die. He defeated sin, death, and the devil. And he rose and he said it this way, I am he who was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? It's Easter Sunday and Jesus is triumphant. He is victorious over death, sin, and the devil. You see, this last week, a friend betrayed him with a kiss. This past week, a friend denied knowing him three times. This past week, they condemned him in the mockery of a trial. This past week, they spit in his face. This past week, he was whipped. This past week, they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they mocked him and called him all sorts of names. This past week, he carried his own cross. And this past week, they nailed him to that cross because of your and my offenses. This past week, they killed him. But you see, it's Easter Sunday. And he did not stay in the grave. He is victorious. It's Easter Sunday, and he is alive. They thought they'd killed him, and that was the end. But it's Easter Sunday. He arose. It's Easter Sunday, and he paid the whole price. Something that you and I could not do for ourselves. It is Easter Sunday, and he is not mad at you. It's Easter Sunday. He sees every hurt and every pain. It's Easter Sunday. He sees every broken heart, and it's Easter Sunday, and he is knocking at the door of your heart, and he's asking you to make an exchange, to exchange your unrighteousness for his righteousness. He wants to come into your heart, 
make you a new person on the inside, forgive you. It's Easter Sunday. He's knocking at the door of your heart. And there's three things that he wants you to do. He wants you to believe, but then he wants you to receive. John chapter 1, verse 12, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. It is not enough that you believe. The Bible says the demons believe and tremble. You need to receive him. And then you need to turn your back on your old life. Stop living a selfish life to please yourself and begin to live your life for the one who loved you, died for you, and rose again. Now, if you're here, you're not right with God. You're away from the Lord. Or you say, I don't know if I'm right with God. This is for you. The Bible says to know that you have everlasting life. And if you don't know for sure you're right with God, you're not where you should be. Now, I'm going to count to three in a moment. And when I say three, I want you to lift your hand. What's going to happen is this. We're going to pray. God's going to meet you in this place. And when we say amen, an exchange is going to take place. He's going to take your unrighteousness, and he's going to give you his righteousness. You're going to be forgiven. He's going to make you a new person on the inside. And when you leave, you're going to be right with God on your way to heaven. Here's what you need to know. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Your way will not get you to God. My way won't get me to God. There's one way. He said, I am the way. I am the only one who took your sin to a cross, shed his blood, paid for your sin, died, and rose again. So as you lift your hand, you're saying, I know I'm a sinner, need a Savior, and I know there's one Savior and only one, and I'm coming to him to be saved, to be forgiven. One. When you lift that hand, you're saying, today, I'm going to turn my back on my old life. I'm not going to be living to please myself anymore. I'm going to live for the one who died and rose again for me. Two. Now get ready. When you lift that hand, you're saying to God today, today by faith I'm receiving Jesus in my heart. I believe and I'm receiving him today. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. I'm going to be forgiven. My past is going to be gone. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Lift it up. Say, pray with me. I'm not where I should be. I want to get right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven in that section. One, two, three in that section. Another hand back here. Another and another and another and another. Another hand over here. Another there in the back. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Over here, I see two hands over here. Up in the balcony. Would you lift your hands? Up in the balcony. Say, I want to get right today. Thank you. God bless 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 you. All right. I'm going to ask every, another hand. Thank you. God bless you. Way over to my right. Would everybody stand? Nobody moving? Please. Now, if you lifted your hand, I want you to look right at me. I want you to grab your Bible, your purse, your coat, the person you came with whatever you need, and make your way to the aisle and come right down here. We're going to pray right here. God is going to meet you right here. We are going to say amen in just a moment. When we say amen, your past, it's going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a brand new person on the inside. This is your day. Jesus said, you confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. From the balcony, please, make your way down. Come on. We're going to wait for you.
This is the most important decision you can ever, ever make. Eternal destinies are being changed today. Jesus said, when one repents, they rejoice in heaven. Look at, look at them. Awesome, awesome. Now I want you to listen real careful, all right? This is the verse that put me over the top. Romans 10, verse 13. It says, whosoever, that means you. This is going to work for you. We'll call on the name of the Lord. Now we're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. All right? And this is God's promise to you. Will be saved. All, right? All you need to do is pray this from your heart. And when we say amen, you're going to be saved. You're going to be forgiven. All right? You're going to be on your way to heaven. All right. Now, awesome. All the way from the balcony. God bless you. All right. Want everybody take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray with everyone who just came forward. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe that he rose again. And I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin. That I'm forgiven. That my past is gone. That I'm a new person on the inside. A part of your family. Forever and ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about ResLife, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about ResLife or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.